Welcome to the teaching ministry of Temple Baptist Church. While we hope you can join us in person, our prayer is that this message will encourage you to love God and serve Him in a deeper way. Well, good morning, everyone. So good to see you. Thank you so much for making the effort to be here. I know how hard it is to get up on Sunday. I struggle with it every Sunday, wanting to get here. So uh, thank you for making the effort. And I realize Sundays is just one of those days. It'd be so easy, right? It's like the one day of the week you could just kind of sleep in and and life could just be maybe a little bit slower and have a late lunch and just enjoy time with your family. So uh, thank you for being here. Every time I see a a family come in, especially with small children in tow, I just want to go give them a high five and pat them on the back like, you did it, you made it. And uh, so, anyway, thank you so much for being here this morning. I also want to extend a warm welcome to those who are our guests today. Uh, we're absolutely thrilled uh, to host you this, this morning, and um, thank you for sharing part of your weekend with us. If this is your first time, or maybe the first time in a long time, I like to let people know right off the bat what we're all about. We are a church that is passionate, driven, motivated, focused on connecting people to Jesus and to one another. We, we don't just say this, these aren't just words for us, we actually mean it. We believe that the most important relationship anyone can have is a relationship with Jesus. And we, we really think life is so much more fun, more, it's fuller when you get to do it with others. Like they say, better uh, together. I also want to give a shout out to those who are joining us online this morning. Uh, thank you for inviting us into your space, wherever you may be. Uh, we realize that uh, people that join us are people that are right here in Sarnia, in the city of Sarnia. We know we have people join us on the other side of the world and everywhere in between. So we're so glad to have you with us. Um, before we get started, uh, this week has been, you know, one of those weeks is you have your highs, you have your lows. And uh, of course, uh, for one, a couple families this week at our church, uh, they lost some uh, family. Uh, they've passed away, some tragic, and some have lived long, full lives. And um, I was thinking of Kay yesterday, I was, I was at their uh, funeral, Kay Cosling, and uh, you know, just hearing uh, how one life can affect so many people. It's, it's pretty amazing, a uh, life that is well lived. And, uh, but this morning, I want to draw your attention to a, a little boy that uh, many of us in the church know. Uh, maybe you can put his picture up on the screen. Uh, this is Lucien uh, Nadeau. And uh, we have prayed for this little boy for the last year. And uh, for some reason, God has just chosen not to uh, answer our prayer that God would heal this little boy. And he's six years old, and uh, he has can- he's had cancer now for a while. And uh, this week, a number of our staff have gone up to visit at the London Children's Hospital. I was there yesterday, being able to visit. And um, the doctors have basically said, you know, it's just a matter of days for him now. And so it's, it's been really hard on that family. And I just thought maybe before we get things going this morning, we would pray. In fact, she said, she texted this morning and just said, you know, would you pray that maybe God would just take him so he wouldn't suffer anymore? So let's just uh, join our hearts together, okay? Father, when we're family, we rejoice with those who rejoice, but our hearts break when family members' hearts are broken. And so, Lord, this morning, we want to pray for Jessica and Stefan. as they're in that hospital room with their little boy that they love. Now, God, we know that you love him more, which is hard to imagine, but it's true. And God, we have, uh, we have prayed, we have committed to praying for this little boy, and yet, um, in your infinite wisdom, it seems that you are choosing uh, a different plan. And so, Lord, uh, this morning, 
we pray that there would be such a sense of God's peace in that room. A peace that is beyond human understanding. And God, we pray that you would lessen the pain for little Lucian. And we pray, God, our deepest prayer is that in it may be a matter of hours or days that he would be in the hands of Jesus. That is our prayer. So God, uh, let Jessica and Stefan know they have a church family that is praying for them even this very hour. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week we began a brand new series called Done. Don't you love it when a project really is finally done like you know the research paper it's done the restoration project oh it's done the renovation it's done the exam it's done the assignment it's done uh, it's been accomplished there's nothing left to do um, every now and then I get conned into helping uh, my family do a puzzle now I am not a puzzle person but I have two sisters that love to do puzzles and sometimes you go to their house, um, one in particular, and she'll say, hey, you want to do a puzzle? No. But somehow she always finds a puzzle that has at least a thousand pieces. And, you know, you empty it on the table and you work away at it. And sometimes it takes a day or two days or three days. And when that last piece gets in the puzzle, you just want to go, oh, my goodness, it's finally done. Now I can enjoy my vacation. And... Uh, so it, there's something about when you finish something, it's done, it's completed. Well, last week we kind of looked at the ramifications when Jesus said, it's finished, it's done, I've done it all, there's nothing left to do. And uh, if you missed last week, I'd encourage you to uh, go to our website and you can check out what we talked about last uh, week. Like, what did Jesus mean when he said, it's done, it's finished? Well, I don't know if you've ever found yourself reading through the Gospels, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, and you can't help but notice that Jesus does things very differently than the way you and I do things. In fact, sometimes you read what Jesus does and you're like, I, I don't even know if you're doing it right, Jesus. You know, especially when you think about some of the people that he hung out with. Um, we looked at a little bit of that last week. You know, the people that he buddies up with. You know, Jesus has this message that he wants to get out on the street. And, and so you'd think he would be kind of rubbing shoulders with, you know, the high and mighty. But when you read about his life, it seems like he just hangs out with those who most people don't want to be associated with. You know, he's hanging out with tax collectors. And that day and age, tax collectors were like... I don't know if this is even a right word, but almost like they were treated like scum, like they were the, you know, because nobody trusted them. They were like, they were thieves. They'd rob you blind. You couldn't trust them as far as you could throw them. And that's who Jesus is hanging out with. And then we discover he hangs out with prostitutes, those who are insignificant, um, those who have no clout, those who, those who have no distinction. He spends time with people on the fringe. And you read that and you go, Jesus, you're not networking properly. <laughs> You're not, you're not with the right people. Because if you have a message you want to get out on the streets for people to understand, you've got to go and connect with the people who can get you in behind closed doors. You want to hang out with those who have connections, those who can take you places. You want to hang out with people who are, have influence, people who are movers and shakers, people who can make things happen. And yet he's hanging out with the people that most people don't even want to associate with. And of all people, he avoids the religious leaders. He, he avoids the politically powerful, which, you know, you think you have this message you want to get out. That's what you're going to rub shoulders with. And that's not at all how Jesus does things. 
It seems that Jesus is always turning things upside down to the way we think. It's just not normal how Jesus lives and what he does. Well, you know, this week I'm reading my Bible and uh, I come across this passage of scripture that quite frankly, when you first read it, it irritates you. Have you, ever, have you ever read the Bible and you come across the passage of scripture that irritates you? You know, maybe you're reading the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Jesus says something that really irritates you. Now, if you've ever read through the gospels and, you're, and you have never been irritated, you're not reading the gospels properly, <laughs> let me tell you. Because some of the things that Jesus says does irritate you. In fact, if grace does not cause you to go, wait a minute, hold on, hold up, hold up, hold up, that is not fair. That is not right. Come on. That can't, you can't do that. If you read the scripture and don't find passages of scripture where grace does that, then you need to reread those scriptures again. Well, the passage of scripture that I want to look at this morning may be one of the most controversial uh, passages that Jesus teaches when it's one, uh, one of his parables that he teaches. Uh, no other story evokes, evokes as much tension um, and discussion about the generosity of God. These words create a powerful debate uh, about the generosity of who God is. In fact, when we read the story, we find it so difficult to understand because it clashes against every sense of fairness. You read this story and you say to yourself, you know, God, you and I do not see eye to eye on this particular issue when you read this passage of scripture. You read this and you say, God, there's no way that this is fair. You know, it seems like it's God's way. This is where I guess faith has to come in. Faith is believing that God is right, even when you disagree with him. That's faith. And the thing is, the passage we're gonna look at, are, it's not an isolated incident. I mean, the gospels are filled with stories that uh, where the expectation of, is turned upside down. The way you think it should play out is not how it plays out at all. And from our way of accounting, we think that God doesn't know math very well when we look at stories like this. In fact, one commentator wrote it this way, this particular parable. He says, this parable irritates the modern listener because it goes against sound human logic. When you read this, you go, this is not right. And yet, it's what Jesus does. In fact, the story is scandalous. And Jesus is trying to, uh, Jesus just sees things a lot differently than you and I. And in this passage, Jesus, I think, is trying to stretch our mind. But I don't think he just stretches our mind. I think he blows our mind what takes place in the passage that we're going to look at this morning. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, or something that you can follow along with, look at, uh, turn to Matthew, the book of Matthew. If the Bible is a little unfamiliar with you, Matthew is the first book in the New Testament, the second half of the Bible. Matthew is the first gospel. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew chapter 20. And you can just follow along as I read. It says, For the kingdom of heaven is, well, it's like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into the vineyard. So let's just stop right there for a second. So um, when I was reading this, it kind of reminded me when my my sister and her husband and family used to live in California. And uh, on different corners, 
uh, in their area, you would find a, a group of uh, workers waiting on the, on the side of a corner. They were day workers, so if you needed help maybe in your yard or, or a project, you could swing by there and hire somebody that's waiting to be hired. And that's kind of what the situation is here. Um, this landowner is going to go out and he's going to find some day workers. People that are, uh, they would have been considered like uh, unskilled workers. They, they weren't paid that much. And they're just waiting for someone to hire them because they know that if they don't work, they don't get money, their family doesn't eat. So this landowner uh, goes out and he's going to hire some people. Now, in the Jewish culture, uh, a day's work started at 6 o'clock in the morning. It was like a 12-hour day, 6 to 6. And so this landowner goes out. He finds some workers early in the morning and he says, I'll pay you a denarius if you'll come work for me today. Now, this is a very generous pay. Uh, if you do some study, you find out this is what a Roman soldier would make for the day. This is what a skilled worker would make for the day. So here comes this landowner, and he says to these guys, he says, if you'll come and work for me, I will pay you a denarius for the entire day. There's no arguing, there's no debating. I'm sure that sometimes these workers, you know, a guy would come by, offer them some money, and think, oh, it's early in the morning, maybe I'll wait for a little bit more, but not not when this landowner comes, like a denarius? You'll pay us that much for a day's work? We're in, we're in. So that's what you have here. So he goes and he tells these guys to go out in the field. Now look at verse three. About the third hour he went out. So now it's nine o'clock in the morning. This landowner re realizes that he's not gonna get all of his work done. I need more workers. And so it says he goes back. I don't know, maybe it's the, back to the same corner. And he hires some more people at 9 o'clock in the morning. He says, he, says, uh, he goes out at um, about the third hour. He went out, saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, hey, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. Now, I think some of these workers that were there at 9 o'clock might have been there at 6 o'clock in the morning. They know the deal that some of those earlier workers, they know this guy is generous. Hey, I'm in. We don't even have to argue. He'll just pay us what is right. And they join him. Well, let's continue on reading. It says, he went out again about the sixth hour, so at noontime, he realizes I need some more work because this job's not going to be done. He goes, hires more people at noon. Then it says he goes out in the ninth hour. So at three o'clock in the afternoon, <laughs> got three hours left in the day's work, and he's going to go get some more people to help. I can't get this job all, it's not going to get done. I'm going to go get some more. So it says the ninth hour, he did the same thing. About the eleventh hour, he went out and found more people. So at five o'clock at night, with only an hour's left of work, he's gonna go get some more people to help with the project. He says, about the 11th hour, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. So you can imagine, you know, here's some guys that have been waiting all day just to get a job. They, I mean, just to have a little bit of money to provide for their family. So I know it's only an hour's worth of work, but at least I'll make some coin. Maybe I can buy a little bit of food, perhaps to survive on. Verse eight. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, okay, the guy in charge, call the workers and pay them their wages beginning with the last one's hired going on to the first. So you can imagine, come on, guys, men, come on in. We're going to pay you. Uh, those who we hired at 5 o'clock in the front of the line, those who are 
We hired at 3 o'clock. I want you second in line. Those who came at noon, I want you third in line. Those who came at 9 o'clock in the morning, you're fourth in line. And those who have worked here all day since 6 o'clock in the morning, you're in the back of the line, okay? We're going we're gonna to pay everybody before you make your way home today. Let's continue. Verse 9. The workers who were hired about the 11th hour came, and each received a denarius. So let me just say, first of all, a denarius was a great day's wage. They got a denarius for one hour of work. This, is, this blows anyone's mind. So you can imagine the eyes of those who came at 5 o'clock being paid a denarius. Like, this is unbelievable. So when they came, they were, uh, continue on there, they received a denarius. Verse 10, so when these came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. And when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. So, so you see what's happening, right? I mean, you, you have some people that worked all day long. And I am sure the people that back the line, when they see money being counted out to those who've only worked an hour, they're thinking to themselves, ching, 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 jackpot day. If he's paid that much for someone who only worked an hour, can you imagine what he's going to pay us when we get to the front of the line to get our wage? And when they make their way down, they find out they actually get the same wage as someone who worked one hour. Doesn't seem fair to me. Let's pick up the story. These men who were hired, verse 12, worked only one hour because they were grumbling, it says. These men who worked, who were hired, uh, worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. We get this. We understand this. This just does not seem fair. <laughs> Let's be honest. Like if you had been working 12 hours and some guy who comes at the last minute gets paid the same thing you, tell me you're not going to be bothered by that. You're, uh, can't we just be honest? This, this irritates us when we see this stuff. Verse 13. But he answered one of them, friend, I'm not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay. Go home. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious? Because I'm so generous. This Matthew story rubs against the grain of the American dream. It doesn't make sense. This is not how things are supposed to work. This is not the Canadian way of life. You work hard, and you get ahead of those who don't work hard. Those who started uh, saving early for retirement are going to do far better than me who started later in life. I mean, that's just the way it works in life. But in this story, <laughs> uh, it seems that it's a little frustrating for those who've worked all day. Like I said, they've been bearing the heat of the day. And those who show up for the last 60 minutes get the same thing, who work 12 hours hours of the day can we just say this irritates us if we're honest we would say this isn't fair what's taking place in this story and yet Jesus in verse 15 says hey don't I have the right to be generous to people I mean honestly this is an outrageous scenario is is there anybody here that owns their own business anyone like small business owners one Oh, we got a couple. Oh, we got a few over here. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, my goodness. They're starting to come out of the woodwork now. 
Now, I don't know how many of you small business owners actually have employees. But ju just picture this. Now, can you imagine in your work scenario, you have a couple of hired workers and you pay the same wage to someone who is part-time as to someone who works full-time. I mean, honestly, it doesn't work. No good employer is going to do that because they know their hard workers are going to walk right out the door if that's what happens. And yet here, you know, someone who shows up late for the last hour, they're like, man, this gig works great. I love this gig. I'm coming back tomorrow for the last hour. It kind of shows us, this story really shows us that our default mode is always based on conditions. You do this, and I'll do that. I mean, that's how we're built. That's, that's how we think. That's how we live. That's the Canadian way of life. You do this, I'll do that. And so when we read a story like this, it kind of confronts everything that doesn't make sense to us. Um, we are addicted to conditionality. Because if I do that, and I do that, and I do that, then I must get this, this, and this. That's not arrogant. That's just the way the world works. And so you can only imagine the tension in the air when these men who have worked all day receive the same pay. Their checks has the same amount of money. I think at first, as I said, they probably were pretty excited to see what those workers were getting. But later on, no. They're actually, they're frustrated. They're, it says they begin to grumble. They thought it was a great wage, a denarius, when they first started. This is awesome. This is like a skilled worker's wage. But by the end of the day, it didn't work. It didn't seem to satisfy them as much. See, the point of this whole story is to show us the, the incredible generosity of the owner. This story is actually a story about Jesus. Like this story points everything to Jesus. It points us to Jesus and his grace and the ridiculous generosity that he has to his people. I mean, this employer was delighted that he could give the same to all. And here Jesus is, is making a very strong point in this story. First of all, uh, you can just picture as Jesus is telling this parable, his listeners are, are Jewish, right? They're Jewish people. That's, that's who's in his listening audience. And, and, the, and the Jewish people had a great heritage. They were proud of their heritage. Uh, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I mean, I'm, I'm proud of my heritage. I'm, I'm so thankful that, you know, to be part of the Calder clan. I, you know, I have Christian parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, great-great-grandparents. And I have, you know, uncles who are pastors and evangelists. I have, I have cousins that are youth pastors. They're in ministry. They're all over the world. Like, I'm, I'm proud to be a Calder. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. However, for the Jewish people, somewhere along the line, it had turned into we have rights over others. It got to the point like, hey, 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 I'm a descendant of the king of David. Don't you forget about that. Hey, hey, oh, I'm a son of Abraham. Have you forgotten? There was this sense of entitlement. Like, um, I deserve this. I have done it all right. I have followed the law to the T. I deserve more. You, you see what's happening in the story? Jesus is taking the focus off of our hard work and onto his extreme generosity. 
I mean, we read this story, we get irritated. and We say, Jesus, really, are you doing anyone any favors by just handing out uh, grace so freely like that? It isn't, it isn't fair, Jesus. You know, so I've heard people say, um, does grace just become cheap because it gets handed out so freely and abundantly? By the way, grace is never, never cheap. It's free, but it, it's, it's never cheap. See, the whole point is that the gift of grace magnifies the giver, not the receiver. The spotlight is, is on the giver, not the, so, so that people would say, really, is, is he that good? You understand? That's why the spotlight is on that landowner. Who is Jesus? Could God be that good? That's where the spotlight is on. It's to showcase the giver, not the receiver. Now, I, I realize there is risk. There is a risk that when grace is so freely given, you know, people will say, well, people will take advantage of it. And if you're a parent or if you're a teacher, you know what that's like. You know when kids take advantage of a little bit of leniency, you give them a little bit of grace. We, we know that's like. Well, the fact is some will take advantage. Some will take advantage of grace. And what I've, I've, I've discovered is people get nervous when there's too much grace being handed out. Now, I know we all could have our own modern-day version or experience of someone who we felt, in our humble opinion, did not deserve a promotion, a, a pay raise, you know, a, a happiness. I mean, we worked hard and tirelessly, and, and we don't get it. So often, um, we, we, we view the world um, through the lenses of fairness rather than grace, which is actually the exact opposite of how God looks at it. We've been taught from a very early age that fairness matters. Watch a bunch of children out on the playground. You're going to hear someone say, hey, that isn't fair. Right? But it's not just children. Adults want fairness too. We like fairness because we, it gives us a sense that we're in control, that there's some order in this life. And fairness is it's based on what we deserve, you know, how hard we worked and how, what we have achieved and the way that we have behaved. I'll give you a story. Uh, it's, I'm not proud of the story, but uh, it's a story of um, when I used to be a youth pastor in uh, Baltimore, Maryland, at a church called Perry Hall Baptist Church. Way back in those days, when you'd have an annual business meeting, they would put everybody's individual salary on the screen. Right, and they would discuss, you know, should that guy get a raise, should that guy shouldn't get, oh, should he did get a decrease, but they were all listed there. I've never given it a thought. I've been there four years, never thought about much, thought about it, until one guy stood up in the business meeting and said, hey, I noticed Donald's salary. It's pretty low. And I went, it is? And he said, um, you know, I don't want to point any fingers, he said, but you do know that uh, Donald actually has more education than anyone else on staff. I went, huh, you're right. <laughs> he says, I, 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 think we should, I think we should increase his salary. 
And someone said, we will as soon as he gets married. So then I really started looking at everything. And I looked at it and I said, well, you know, that guy's mortgage payment is the same as my mortgage payment. That guy's car payment is the same as my car payment. My goodness, his wife works. They make twice as much as what I make. And all of a sudden I thought, this isn't fair. Let me tell you, grace is dangerous. It reverses business as usual. So the last will be first and the first will be last. In our day and age, it's like the first will be first, the last will be last. First come, first serve. But see, grace looks beyond our productivity, our appearance, our dress, our race, our ethnicity, our accomplishments, or our failures. Grace recognizes that there is more to you and to who you are than what you have done or what you haven't done. Grace reveals the goodness of God. Wages reveal human effort. Grace seeks inclusion. Wages make distinctions and separation. Grace just happens. Wages are based on merit. And grace only happens because of what Jesus did on the cross. See, he did the work already. He accomplished. That's why he could say it is finished, so we could be the beneficiaries of his grace. As I said before, people get nervous when grace gets out of hand. And, and, and this story shreds any idea of conditionality. You know, this just isn't fair. You know, we look at the story. It's sort of like the prodigal, the prodigal son. Remember that story, right? Here's a father. He has two sons. He's nurtured. He's raised. And one, his youngest, says, hey, dad, I'm sick and tired of this lifestyle, living at home. I want to be out on my own. I want my inheritance, and I want out of here now. And that's what he does. And so the father is kind enough to give him what he wants. And so sure enough, he goes out. He lives this wild and crazy life. Lots of wine, lots of women. And finally, he loses it all. He has nothing. He's homeless, living on the streets. Not even enough money or enough food to put it in his mouth. And so he comes home. And his father sees him and his father gives him this big hug. And he says, you know what, son? It's so good to see you. Oh, I'm so glad you're home. He says, you know what? Invite all your friends. We're going to have a party. You've come home. And so there's this big party gets thrown. And, of course, the older brother shows up. He says, what's going on? He says, well, hey, I'm, I'm, throwing a, I'm throwing a party for your, for your brother. He's come home. And the older brother's like, what? What? That's not fair. I've, I've stayed here. I, I worked my finger to the bone. I've been faithful to you, Dad. You never threw me any party. Shouldn't I be rewarded more? I mean, isn't that how we think? I mean, that's just how we think. It's, is it not? Now, some people might conclude that, hey, maybe I should live more like the prodigal son so we could see more of God's grace spread all over the place. See, that's where people say, see, you gotta, that's where people say, ah, oh, that's where grace gets a little dangerous because people might think that. Well, um, the Apostle Paul, I think, knew that that question was going to be asked. He says, you know, some people are going to think, oh, should I just go and do whatever I want to do? In fact, he addresses that. I'm just going to flip over quickly. You don't have to do that, but it is in Romans, Romans chapter 6, 
where the Apostle Paul, for the last couple of last couple of chapters has really been just talking about God's mercy and God's grace and God's love and then we come to Romans 6 and he knew people would ask this question and here's the question what shall we say then shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase he goes by no means we died to sin how can we live in it any longer See, Paul knew that, hey, you know what, maybe if I talk too much about grace, people are going to just go off the rails and live any way they want. But really, what's being said here is the question that's being asked, should I sin more so we can see grace more? That makes sense. We want to see God's grace everywhere. So I'll just continue doing what I've always done. And the Apostle Paul is saying, if that's what you're thinking, you're not thinking clearly. You're not catching the picture. I mean, at this point, you may be tempted to think, well, Paul, you know, he's been talking so much about love and grace and mercy, like he needs to change, change direction. Paul needs now to start emphasizing the law and the rules and the judgment. And, and so that's what you think maybe Paul would do. He would, you know, get off that track and onto another track. But that's not what he does at all. In fact, what he does, he doesn't step back. He doesn't take his foot off the pedal. He, it seems like he hammers down. And he really starts talking about grace and what can be expected. He ramps it up. He puts the pedal to the metal. He puts it in fifth gear. And he really begins to talk about the gospel and the grace of God. Now, should we continue in sin? Paul says, of, of course not. Of course not. What are you thinking? If that's what you're thinking, you don't really understand what grace does to an individual. In fact, can I just read a couple more verses there? He says, uh, verse 2, by no means we died, uh, we died to sin. How can we live in any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a brand new life. He presses in on it more. See, once you are justified by faith, you, you just can't go on doing what you've always done before. Once you've had an encounter with Jesus, things begin to, to change your perspective. And when it, when it hasn't, it's not that we need um, less of grace, and, and it's not like we need to put a governor on grace. No, we need, we need to really show what grace is because grace compels us to love God because of what he's done for us. Uh, we get overwhelmed by how God, good God is. See, the Christ of Christianity is the fact that he gives and he gives and he gives and he turns the other cheek and he forgives 70 times seven and he absorbs our sense of entitlement. You know who really gets grace? I mean, do you really know who really gets it? It's the most unlikely people get grace. It's the desperate. It's the desperate people. 
Your appreciation of God's grace is your understanding of how desperate you were before you experienced the grace of God. There is a reason that it's called amazing grace. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. It's not Jesus plus a little on your part. It's not Jesus plus a little things that you've done in your past. Not Jesus and the things that you'll do. Not Jesus and the things that you will do. It's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And I want to tell you, grace works because grace is the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. Where his mercies are new every morning. And it brings transformation from the inside out. It's that 70 times 7 that melts a hard heart. That God would do that. That God would be that good, that gracious. God's amazing grace alone is what really transforms the human heart. Because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still running from God, he died for us. Why we were still enemies of God. He died for us. That is the grace of God. So you may say, well, what's the, what's the bottom line, Donald? What are you trying to say? What, what's trying to be said from this story? Well, the bottom line is Jesus is trying to say it has nothing to do with the works. We're so work-oriented we just think we can earn God's favor. And, and the spotlight has nothing to do with who's working. It has everything to do with Jesus, who is so kind and so gracious that even those who come in the very last hour could experience the grace of God. See, that's grace. That's God's grace. Why would we settle for the usual daily wage when God has so much more in store for us? Why do we settle for what's fair when, there's, when he promises to give us more than what we could ever imagine? That's God's grace. And it's extended to all of us, to each one of us. No matter what our past looks like, no matter what our current condition is, it's just simply the grace of God. What sometimes I find troubling is that you'll run into people who, who you know, I, I believe that they're, they're, they're Christians, that they're a follower of Jesus, they've given their heart to Jesus, but somehow, somehow they, they got this idea that Jesus got me in, but I keep myself in. So thank you, Jesus, for getting me in, but I know i got to do a lot of work in here to keep me in here. Well, that's not grace. That's not the grace of God. And I also know, I, re, I meet people all the time. I meet people all the time that say this. I don't, you know, if, if I was to come through the, the church doors, the, the church may burn down, right? I might get struck by lightning. Like, you don't understand where I come from. You don't know my life. I go, yeah, you're right, I might not know, but I tell you, there's no secrets with God. And his grace, his grace is for you. Uh, one of the guys in my small group, he says, you know, Donald, last week, 
He says, there's something you said I didn't like. He said, you said, when, where there's sin, there's always grace that goes beyond your sin, just beyond. He said, it doesn't go just beyond. It goes way beyond your sin. I said, you're right. I'm going to have to correct myself on that. And that's the grace of God. So when we read a story like this, read it with the idea that the spotlight is on the giver. And he's so good. He is so good. Let's pray. I, I wouldn't want to close this service without giving you the opportunity to accept Jesus as your personal Savior. You know, maybe you are here this morning, and maybe it's your first time. I don't know, maybe you've been coming for years, for years, and you have been really working hard to try to prove yourself to God. Working year after year, just trying to earn God's favor. I'm here to tell you, God loves you for who you are right now. That's why he sent his son. That's why he sent his very best to die for you. Do you know that even in, in a moment like this, in a room like this, your life can be transformed by the grace of God? And if you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus, in just the quietness of your heart, you can pray something so simple as, Lord, I, I can't do this on my own. I can't. I've worked myself to the bone and it's not cutting it. And God, I believe. I believe you actually died for my sins. And I accept that. And I invite you in to my life. Change it, God, I pray. Thank you for what you've done for me. The Bible says if we call in the name of the Lord, as simple as that, we will be saved. That, my friend, is the grace of God. Now, Father, this morning, we thank you for the few moments that we've been able to look into your word. And we thank you for this powerful, powerful word called grace that is extended to all. The grace of God. It's so amazing. And God, I pray that people could grab a glimpse of just how good you are that God could be that good. That's grace. It's the grace of God. Amen.